wells or kind of like plug up our wells are sin and religion, fear, lack of generosity, offenses, and then lastly, complacency and apathy. And I feel strongly that God wants us to continue this conversation and focus on this concept of battling complacency and apathy. We believe there's a battle over souls, yes? There's a battle over souls. Well, the devil wants to steal souls by making us comfortable and keeping us complacent and apathetic about our Savior. That is his, one of his favorite tools to use. Because if we do that, then we're not focused on the lost souls and we're focused on ourselves. And then our lives become so important. And our needs become so important. And Satan loves that. But in order to overcome that, we have to dig these wells of life. One of the things that Josiah talked about is it's more important about the how. It's the how is more important than the what. So in this pursuit of changing the kingdom, this pursuit of digging wells, just being here doesn't mean anything. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean anything. What fruit is coming from your life is what matters. We have to pursue Christ. We have to build these wells of living water. We can't let them go dry. That brings us closer to Jesus and allows us to better bring lost souls to him. So this message, I've got, God gave me four main points of how to dig wells and how to approach the digging of these wells of life. And I want to go back really quick to what I said. We should be desperate for this. The example that God used in the Old Testament is, is people desperately needing water and digging these wells or else they die. So we have to be desperate about this. We have to want more of him. If we don't, we've lost that purpose. We've lost our way. We've lost that ability to strive towards a fullness of life in Jesus. So I'm going to be ridiculously cliche because that's what you know pastors are supposed to do. Um, think about your, your favorite hobby. Think of something that you're just very passionate about. And think about the time that you spend around that passion. For me, I am an absolute geek. I, I really am. There's no arguing it. I play board games. That's my hobby. That's my main hobby. And this is not Monopoly we're talking about. This is like heavy duty, like rule books this thick, you know, takes eight hours to play type board games. And so I get excited, you know, when a, a, a new board game arrives, you know, I pull out the you know, three rule books and I get to work. And I'll spend like eight hours reading rules for board games because I love the payoff. I love the, just the, the intricacies of the rules and the different victory conditions. And I love that and I put so much time into it. So I hope that there's something in your life that kind of rings true. Probably not board games, but there's probably something else in your life that rings true that you're passionate about. Um, think about the time you spend on that passion and think about the time you spend on Jesus. And just, just think about that. Jesus should be our number one passion. Period. It's not something we fit in. It's not something that we just do when we have time. We have to fit it in. Uh, or we have to 
not fit it in. We have to actually prioritize it and build our schedule around what our number one passion should be, and that's Jesus. So, four key ways to build walls of life. One is self-discipline. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians, um, uh, the city of Corinth was where many um, athletes would train. And he, he knew a great analogy to show the Corinthians how we are supposed to run this race, how we're we supposed to prioritize and help self-discipline when it comes to our walk with Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes through strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that I have preached to others. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And just a clarification, when you're disqualified for the prize, there's not this, this, this prize of Jesus is not works-based. So there's, you know, don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the prize of building the kingdom, the prize of affecting others, the prize of, of bringing others to Jesus. He's not talking about the prize of salvation. And when Paul talks about making our bodies slaves, that, that word, it's kind of taboo, isn't it? Slave? That makes you cringe a little bit. You know, I mean, obviously there's historical, you know, ramifications in this country. You think of slaves, it's like, oh. But what Paul is talking about, in the Greek, it literally says, I lead my body around as a slave. It says that I am in control of my priorities. I'm in control of what I am going to pursue. And I have to, I mean, he says he beats his body <laughs> to to make sure that he continues on, the, on this path. But it's, it's literally something where you have to tell your body, your mind, no, I am focused on Jesus. And why? Why do we have to do that? Because we're fleshy. We're of this world. We have free will. There's sin all around us. There's temptation all around us. And sometimes the temptation is so, it's, it's so tricky and so sneaky that, you know, we think, well, I'm, I'm ministering, and therefore, I'm absolutely on the right path. Minister, ministering is good, but not if your heart is not with Jesus. Not if your heart is absolutely aligned with Jesus' path and what Jesus wants for you. The person who is going to know best if you are actively digging your well or not is you. You know best. You have to keep yourself accountable. You know where you're at in your walk. You know where you're feeling convicted about where you're not prioritizing him. You know that. And Paul writes so many good words about just being disciplined about Jesus. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. It's wonderful. He says, 
not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It takes self-discipline to press on, to strain, to make sure that you're focused and just absolutely making sure that you're um, not distracted by things of this world. The Greek word for straining here, it means to stretch out to or towards. To stretch yourself, you have to be a bit uncomfortable and to be okay with it. That's self-discipline lived out. So the first piece of digging wells, you have to be self-disciplined and self-accountable to yourself to say, no, I, I am being convicted in this area. I need to give that to Christ. I need to focus more on, on reading the Word. I need to focus more on worshiping, whatever it may be. That's, that's part of self-discipline. The second piece, so first, self-discipline. Second, scheduling. We're busy people. We use that word all the time. It's like the, it's like the base answer to anyone. Like, I, I work in a building with 600 people, and I say hello to someone. Like, how's it going? Oh, busy. It's like the cool thing to say. <laughs> it's so cool. Well, I'm busy. But we do have lots of things on our calendars, and we have to schedule Jesus. We have to schedule time to dig wells. Many of you may or may not know, let me say that again, many of you probably know that Thursday nights are for my wife. It's non-negotiable. I don't even think about scheduling things on Thursday nights because I need to prioritize my wife. Why? It's not because I will not have a relationship with her if I don't schedule that time on Thursday. It's because she's a priority to me. And I owe that to her because she is my wife and she needs to be my priority. And if I don't schedule that time with her, then life happens. And all of a sudden, you know, kids' events come up and, and church work and work work and all of these other things just pile up. And she would all of a sudden fall by the wayside on my priority list. So instead, I say, no, Thursday nights are for my wife. You need to do the same thing with Jesus. We think of some of the, like, powerhouses in the Bible. We think of Daniel. And Daniel was just a strong man of God, facing oppression, facing worldly pressures. King Darius decreed that anyone who was seen praying to any god other than King Darius, or any person other than King Darius, would be thrown in a den of lions. And what does Daniel do? Let's read Daniel 6.10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he has done before. Why three times a day? Why is that important? Daniel had the world, the worldly pressures surrounding him, 
He had an opportunity to be fearful. He had an op opportunity to be distracted. He had an opportunity to succumb to the pressure of the world. And he said, no, I am going to schedule three times a day to get down on my knees and pray to Jesus. It's not an accident that they put these words in the Bible. No word in the Bible is an accident. Daniel scheduled prayer. And that's what allowed him to be strong. What are you scheduling? Seriously, what are you scheduling? What's on your schedule? I'm not going to tell you if you need to be in the word weekly or daily or whatever it may be, but it has to be a priority. It has to be something that you schedule. It has to be something that you prioritize. Or, is it, or else it's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, there may be times where you're just like, oh, I, I'm sitting on the toilet. I'm going to take out my phone and read the Bible for five minutes. You've all done it. I'm not weird. You've all done it. I know you have. Time in the Word has to be scheduled. Being with your daddy has to be scheduled. It has to be. So scheduling is number two. Number three, I have it. It's not the greatest heading for this, but I have it quick at the trigger. We can pray. Always. We can pray all the time. We have an, like, in, in, we have um, constant ability to talk to the Savior of the world. We have the constant ability to do so. We talk about the spiritual battle. We talk about the battle of good versus evil that we've already talked about twice in this message. When we think about the battle, we think about Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And you know, it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is absolutely important. And we've talked in various messages about how it's actually like your best defense is that sword. But if you go a little bit further, after he talks about the actual armor, you know, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, he says in Ephesians 6.18, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I, I kind of, when I read that verse, I chuckle a little bit because it's like, pray always, and with that in mind, pray always. <laughs> I, and it's, it's an important piece of, of the whole armor of God. It's an important piece of us being able to deflect what Satan is throwing our way. It's being just prayerful always. And oftentimes when adversity comes to a given day or a given moment, our reaction is to react negatively and internalize that, negative, that negativity, and internalize that hurt, internalize that stress. We should externally give it to Jesus. Period. Doesn't mean that you're not going to hurt anymore. It's not like Jesus is not some you know, magic genie. But what he does do is he's going to allow his joy to come over you, his peace to come over you. doesn't mean that he's going to just give you happiness and it's going to just turn around like that, but at least allows you, you to not bear the burden of what you're going through. We've talked multiple times in the last few weeks about 
The yoke with Jesus is light. He's right next to you. He's right next to you. All you need to do is look over and say, hey, this one's hard. And Jesus says, I got it. I got it. It's as simple as that. You know what else we have? We have Google. We have Google. And thank the Lord for Google. Some of you may not know, you know, different themes within the Word as much as others. You may not know where you need to go if, you know, you need to, if you're fearful about something. Where do you read? You can definitely pray and pick up your Bible, but go to Google and say, what, what does the Bible say about fear? And, and read about how we don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of power and self-control. Google. It's a, it's a tool. It can be used as a tool for good and not so good, but let's use it for good. And one thing I'd say, don't Google for articles. Don't Google for what some man's opinion was of that specific thing that you're going through. Google for what the Bible says about what you're going through. And lastly, number four, find help. Find help. We're not meant to do this alone. And Satan's going to make sure that you feel like you have to do it alone. I want to read Hebrews 10, 19-25. And I feel like this passage is one of the better passages about why we do church, why we, why we gather, what the purpose of that is. So it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And let us consider how we are to spur one another towards love and good deeds. Part of why we do church is so that we can spur one another towards Jesus. The preach, the worship, it's, it's, part, of, it's part of the equation in, in, in digging wells of life. But if you then try and do it on your own when you're not here, you're, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You need someone in your life to push you to dig these wells. In order to do that, you have to have relationships in your life that are built on trust, that are built on the understanding that I want to further the kingdom. I want what's best for the kingdom. I care about you, and therefore I'm giving you this feedback. Kendra and I can keep each other accountable. I can ask, babe, how is your quiet time? You know, Kendra can say, hey, have you prepared for the Wednesday morning Bible study yet? You know, what have you learned through this book you're reading? You know, we ask questions to ensure that we are walking in Christ. A couple months ago, I, um, 
I was obedient to the Lord um, when he said, start a Wednesday morning Bible study on Philippians. And it wasn't something that I concocted. I didn't need anything else on my calendar. I didn't think I did. I, I felt like I had enough. You know, and I've really been working on trying to prioritize what is and isn't important in church life. Because if you get, if you get, um, if you get, if you're not careful, you're going to do everything and you're going to burn out. So I've been really prioritizing what God do you want my life to look like at the church? And he said, you need to start this Bible study. And that Bible study has checked off two of these boxes, the scheduling and the get help. Um, Michael and Joe have been consistently coming to the Bible study every week. And we were talking about it this week, and we just realized we have that trust relationship between the three of us. I have that trust relationship with many people in this place, but I know from doing life with them and studying the Word with them and being vulnerable with them that they want Christ and His kingdom to be furthered. I know that they care about me. And therefore, if they want to come up to me and admonish me for bringing up board games and a preach, they can, they can do that. And I, I will listen because I have that connection with them and I have that base level of understanding that they want is what is best based on Jesus. They want what is best for me based on Jesus. So if you don't have those relationships in your life, I want to figure out how I can help make that happen. How we can help make that happen. We as a church have to be strategic about making that happen. Because it's not all on you. It's on us as a church to empower one another, to support one another, to listen to one another, to do life together so we can further the kingdom. It's so important. So if you have prioritized your own well, um, help others dig theirs. If yours is dug, if yours is dug, and it's full of life, help others dig theirs. Every Wednesday, I'm, you know, I'm very, very thankful for Joe. Joe has done, Joe has done life, you know. He has wisdom. And he, every week, you know, reads through the commentary, and he'll, he'll type up notes that he wants to encourage everyone at the Bible study with. That's a man who has filled up his well and is prioritizing helping others dig theirs. So I thank you, Joe. I thank you for just what you have meant to me, and thank you for just prioritizing helping us um, in that Bible study. Don't underestimate how hard it is to dig these wells. Someone you know may not even know how to pick up the shovel. <laughs> they might not know how to start. They may have accepted Jesus, but they're like, now what? They need, they need people who have done life and understand what it's like to dig those wells of life and just live a life focused on Jesus to help guide them to pick it up, to dig those wells.
I have accepted Jesus. I have tangibly met him. I've tangibly felt his grace, his peace, his love. And I get to see him one day. I get to see him one day. So I was praying this morning. I just keep tearing every every time. Think about Jesus. I just saw Jesus like walking on a path, and he was like ascending on this hill. And on the other side of the hill, there were just thousands of, of people. Thousands of people who didn't know the Father, who didn't know him. And Jesus knew. I'm going to have to die for those people. And it says in Scripture that that would happen multiple times, and he was moved with compassion. And there's so many. There's so many that are going to die. There's so many that are going to spend eternity in death. Part of what happens when a fresh spring of water was dug in that Old Testament time, they found water and the land flourished. The land flourished. When you're digging up these wells of life, you're allowing Jesus to penetrate everything you are and outpouring a land of flourishing. That's the byproduct of us prioritizing this. Us making sure that we are just digging more and more and more into Jesus. We have to have a heart for the lost. We have to. We have to. I asked the question, why are you here earlier? And I really want you to ask yourself that. And think about why you're here. Think about why you're here in this building. Why are you here at this church? And why are you here on this earth? And let Jesus answer those questions. Let Jesus be the one speaking to you about what what you're supposed to do here. The church should be a tool to further the kingdom, to save souls. It's not the whole thing. A lot of it is on you to make decisions, to have that heart of Jesus, to dig those wells of life and just get the heart of Jesus in your life. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession." that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We get to declare the praises of the Almighty. We get to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we, we get to glorify his name. I'm excited because I have dug my well. I've dug it decently deep. I'd love to dig it way deeper. 
what am I prioritizing? I'm prioritizing getting new reading material that helps me understand how to become more radical in my love for Jesus. Prioritizing time every week to read new things to help me dig deeper. My goal in that is that I would become more mature. That I'd I'd become firmer in who Jesus says I am so that I can help others realize that same truth. It shouldn't be work, guys. It shouldn't be something that we just, oh, I guess I need to fit in Jesus' time. Let me rephrase. I don't, when I say it shouldn't be work, I'm saying it shouldn't be something that you kind of look at in your life and you're like, oh, I've got to go to church, or oh, I've got to, you know, take flowers to this person, or oh, I need to do this. Like, there's, there's, there's something that is very real about prioritizing Jesus in your life and letting him dictate what your schedule looks like. So when I say it shouldn't be work, it shouldn't be something that you just check off a box. It should be something that's evolving, that you're growing in. This message, these messages on the wells of life, it's just the start of something. It needs to be just the start of something. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 Josiah preached it last week as well. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I felt after the the service to just declare that as a church together, that we want to be a church that reaps generously. But what what I want is for us to be praying as individuals I want to dig deep wells. And I want you to share with the church either how you have dug wells of life or how you're going to. This is not something where we can just have a conversation and a preach and then move forward. We need to all be talking about this together. And so I'm going to encourage you over the next however long, I'm going to send out an email um, Monday nights. I work on church stuff on Mondays. And I'm going to ask you to pray about how God wants you to start working on your wells. And I'd encourage you to give testimonies up here and share about what you are doing, about what you have done, about what God is doing. Because just doing church and, and having the worship and the preach, it's, it's good, but we need to be a community in Jesus. Josiah talked about what we need to be aware of to keep us from growing in him, and we do. We need to take care of those well pluggers, if you will. But we need to be intentional about our time with him. We need to be self-disciplined. We need to schedule time to pray, to worship, to get in the word. We have to be quick to talk to the Lord. Quick to give our, our, our hurts the Lord, and we have to find help. Let's commit to doing that as a church, guys. Let's commit to it. Let's do it. Because the byproduct is that those thousands, they have a better chance to be saved because of us being the communal church that we're called to be.